coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me in studio today is my coach, Charlie, and well, Charlie, we're weekend just got freed up with the news earlier today that, of course, the Georgia-Missouri game got canceled, or well, I should say postponed as of right now. Maybe it'll be played, maybe it won't, but you get yet another one of your very coveted bye weeks. So is that good news or bad news for you? Well, it's good news, except for there are also like three other games canceled. So what football are we watching like, this weekend? Almost the entire SEC slate. Like, I think there's, we... Right now there's two games being played in Kentucky. Vanderbilt is like tenuous. It might or might not be played. So it might be just the Florida-Arkansas game. I'm telling you, Halloween. That's what it was, right? Like Halloween parties. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be Halloween parties. These guys, um, you know, you're a college kid. Can't help yourself. Couldn't resist. And... Uh, then now they're paying the now, price. I mean, yeah, I guess they're paying the price. It sucks. Um, I was really excited about going to this game. It's like my favorite trip oh, to Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go, weren't you? Yeah, I was really excited. Had everything set to go. Hotels, airfare, whole nine yards, Maybe reservations. Maybe you can go in December? <laughs> my wife doesn't exactly like the cold. It was hard enough to even get her to agree to go in mid-November. Mid-December, probably yeah, a no-go. I don't see her doing very well in December in the Midwest. Probably a no-go. But yeah. Yeah, this is 2020. I'll talk her into it. Yeah, maybe. 2020 strikes again. It's my favorite road trip. Look forward to it every two years. And like, what sucks the most about it? And like, look, the whole year sucks, guys. I know this is this is small potatoes compared to what a lot of people are going through. But like, I, it's not like I can just say, oh yeah, we'll, ne- we'll go next year. No, we won't. We'll have to wait another two years. So it'll be like four years between trips to my my favorite road game. And, and yeah, I know, guys. In the grand scheme of the world, small potatoes. I get that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't suck. It still sucks. It's just one more thing. It's out on top of all the things here in 2020, so that sucks. Um, and hopefully it'll get played. It also sucks as we were going to see JT Daniels this weekend. I had on pretty good authority from a couple different sources that he was, um, at the very least, getting the majority of the reps with the number one offense in practice, which typically means if you're if you're doing that in game week, he's going to be the starter. So we'll see how what ends up happening after this. But I was excited to see a chance get a chance to see him in action. But well. I do have a positive note of that. Of course you do. So now he'll get another week of practice with more reps, right? Doesn't hurt. And also, our team is not the team with the COVID issues. Look at you. Right? So we're not having to sit out of practice due to quarantine. We're getting more practice. So. Maybe you Maybe know it's not there's the like a the revelation team? and you yeah, know, stop being selfish, Tyler. Revolution. This is good for the team. Uh, doesn't doesn't no 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 I know I know I know I'm, I'm being serious. Like, I agree with you. A and M, they're yeah. not practicing because right. all their players are in quarantine. Yeah, Missouri, like every single one. Yeah, all eighty-five. Missouri, well, okay. Oh my gosh, so dramatic. Missouri has one positive case. No, yeah, they this, have coaches that. One positive case among two. players. Okay. But the, As there of are now. coaches that are also quarantined or whatever. So don't they can't have, you know, they don't have all their players ready to sure. go for practice. So luckily, we don't yeah. have those issues. I'm going to knock on wood right now. Yeah. So that maybe we can have a little turnaround here. 
next week. You know what's also going to suck? Because Mississippi State can't play this week. What if they are still dealing with COVID issues and can't play next week? Hey, we all we all were skeptical. Well, I don't know about all of us. I was skeptical about finishing the season. So, I'm still shocked we got this far. Yeah. that's just so, I just want to see some football. I just want to see some Georgia football. I know everyone's down after the Florida game, and I am too. But I still... Want to see some Georgia football and build some positive momentum heading into next year. Yeah, that's just like really letting the salt get Yeah, to that's the thing too. It's like we, we just let it grind in there for another is week. This, it's the second time this year. We lost Alabama, then had a bye week after that. I had to wait two weeks to deal with that. Like I had to, I had to sit and suffer through two weeks of just feeling it's that. It's all about you. It all is about, about me. You. Well, no, it's not about me. But I, as a fan, it sucks. Two weeks, you got to wait to play Kentucky. Okay, cool. We beat Kentucky. And then now with Florida, lose to Florida, that sucks. And now we've got to wait at least two weeks to t- try to get that sour taste out of your mouth. And it sucks for me, but of course it sucks more for our players and coaches who really want to get that sour taste of them out of their mouth. But uh, yeah, oh, it just sucks all around. But it's all good. 2020. Hey, <laughs> it's the story of the year. At least it's November of 2020. Yeah, but it's going to carry over to the early part of 2021. <laughs> Babe, we got a vaccine coming. We've got a vaccine coming. Apparently, they say. They say. They say. We'll they see. Say. And a couple others on the way, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, all right. Enough of that. As for today's show, enough of me just sitting here sulking and feeling sorry for myself. I know that's not good radio or podcasting, whatever. Uh, but as for today's show, this was originally scheduled to be the Missouri Game Preview episode. RIP, maybe. We'll see. But since that game isn't happening this weekend, and may not happen at all, but at least not this weekend... We had to adjust on the fly. So here's what we're going to do today on the podcast. We want to make sure to have some content for you guys. Just because there's no game doesn't mean we're going to leave you hanging. You guys know we try to make sure we have you guys covered all year long. So we still had some questions left over from the mailbag earlier in the week. And yeah, we, again, like we, hate, we hate just kind of leaving you hanging like that. Like when you send in a question and we don't get to it. Like when you take the time to send in your question, we want to make sure we answer it. We always do our very best to do that. So... We have a lesser time this week, and we're going to spend that time answering all the questions we didn't have time to get to earlier in the week. And then, after that, we're going to go ahead and do our picks of the week. But as we said, with almost the entire SEC slate knocked out this week, and I think it's up to 10 games either canceled or postponed on the week across the country. It's just slim pickings, to be honest, when it comes to finding games to include on the show. Uh, I mean, we could just throw in some random games. Like, hey, like we could pick 0-3 Penn State against 0-2 Nebraska. What a game. But why do that when most of you don't care about those games? So we've got five games that we are picking on the last half of the show. We are going to have a guest picker uh, who sent in his picks. We'll talk more about that uh, once we get there. But we have a couple games to pick. We don't want to completely forget about our picks of the week. Got to keep that going. And we'll be back next week with a full slate of games, hopefully a full slate of games, Again, once again. But um, all right, Charlie, we've got a couple of questions from our listeners to start off with to close out the week eight mailbag. What you got for me? All right, Ryan says that Kirby Smart has taken the Georgia program back to borderline elite status. Keyword, borderline. Mm -hmm. But we still can't seem to get over the hump. What is the biggest issue separating us from programs like Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State? You know, the, the one of those three that I hate the most is Ohio State. Out of all three of them? Yeah, I think and I don't so. have, like, a massive amount of hate for Alabama. I, I don't like them, but I don't hate them. I guess I'm... I'm not fond of Clemson. I mean, I'm not either. I just... Maybe it's because Ohio State's not in the South. I don't know. The Yankee thing? Yeah. No, it's not... I don't know. I just... Mm, maybe it's because Urban Meyer coached there. 
Yeah, that'll do. That'll do it for I you. I think that did it. That'll do it for you. And then, of course, it. Justin Fields goes there. No, I mean, not ill will against him, but just, God, why does he have to go to Ohio State? Uh, Clemson on that list would probably be the one I dislike the most. Yeah. Yeah. Clemson people, eh. I mean, I don't, I, honestly, all three of them, I don't hate. I don't have some deep abiding hate for any of those three programs. I respect all of them. Don't like any of them, but don't have like this deep abiding hate I, ha- I might have for like Florida or Georgia Tech or someone of that ilk. But Clemson, yeah, I would say Clemson of that three I probably dislike the most. Uh, so, but anyway, to the question here, what's the biggest issue separating us from programs like the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and the Ohio States? This is pretty simple to me, guys. And this is something I've kind of alluded to over the past couple of weeks. It's it's quarterback play. It's quite simply, we have not found an elite quarterback. I guess, again, people would argue we found one in Justin Fields. How about, let's say this, finding and retaining an elite quarterback has been our issue. We've had a good quarterback. Jay Fromm was a really good quarterback, but he wasn't elite. He wasn't he, he definitely wasn't Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tungavailoa. He wasn't that level type guy. He wasn't a Baker Mayfield even. When Baker was there at Oklahoma when we played them. Both still won that game. But I mean, let me just give you some numbers, guys. Some of these quarterbacks of teams that are in the top 10, the AP rankings right now. So Ohio State, Justin Fields, pro football focus, uh, his overall grade on the season through, I guess, two games. But still, 93.9 through two games. Mac Jones, Alabama, his pro football focus grade, 93.8. Zach Wilson at BYU, who very quietly is going to go undefeated, guys. The only game that they're possibly going to lose was Boise State, and they destroyed Boise State on the road, on the blue turf last weekend. They're going to go undefeated. They're probably not going to get into the playoffs because they haven't played absolutely nobody. When Boise State's the best team you played, you're probably not going to get in the college playoff, but they're destroying people. And Zach Wilson has been a monster all year. Uh, he's got a 93.7 overall grade. Trevor Lawrence, 91.3. De'Eric King at Miami, who's very quietly a, a one-loss team. 91.6, uh, Kyle Trask, 88.1, Kellen Mond, 80.6. Ian Book's the anomaly here, 72.8, but in their one big game against Clemson, he had by far his best game of the year. He, he had an 85.4 grade against Clemson. So all these top 10 teams, these elite programs, have quarterbacks that are performing at an elite level. That's what it takes in modern day football. It's the quarterbacks and the skill talent, the passing game more than anything. And if you look at us, Stetson Bennett has been like, I mean, he's been fine. He hasn't been good enough. 69.3 overall grade. He was in the mid-70s until the past couple of weeks. But in our two biggest games against the best opponents, against Alabama and Florida, against Alabama, he graded out at 57.7. Last week against Florida, 46.7. So against the other big-time teams we've played, he has performed at his worst. And overall, he's under 70. So if this was a, if this was school, he'd be failing right now. 69.3. Dwan Mathis. Oh, Dwan Mathis. Get this. 35 flat. 35 is his overall grade and pro football focus right now. It's just not good enough. And you go look at um, the playoffs the past couple years. Last year, Joe Burrow, LSU, 94.9 grade. Justin Fields, 91.5. Jalen Hurts, 91.8. Trevor Lawrence, 91.1. Jake Fromm, 86.5. Again, Fromm's grade was solid last year, guys. He, I mean, I know the last half of the year we struggled, especially with the receiver issues, and, and his numbers went down. But when you adjust for all that, at the end of the day, his grade on pro football focus was pretty solid, 86.5. The problem was it was good, it good enough to get us in the conversation, good enough to get us to the SEC championship game, good enough to get us on the brink of the college football playoff, but not in a Joe Burrow 94.9 or Justin Fields 91.5, Jalen Hurts 91.8. Not good enough for us to jump into that category, into the college football playoff yet again. Go back to 2018, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, 90.7 overall grade, Tua Tungavailoa, 90.9, Kyler Murray 94.6, and then Jake Fromm 83.2 in 2018. Again, good solid grade. He's a good quarterback. 
got us to the brink, got us to the title game, got us within an eyelash of beating Alabama, and got us almost there. But it wasn't a 94.6 or 90.9. It wasn't quite good enough. And I'll give you another example. Go back to De'Aaron King. I told you his grade right now as a quarterback at Miami, 91.6 on the year. Compare that to last year. Guys, Miami last year was an absolute disaster on offense. They were atrocious. They were fine on defense, but their offense let them down game in and game out. They were 98th nationally in total offense last year, 367 yards a game, finished 6-7 and seven on the year. Well, this year, Miami is 35th nationally in total offense, averaging 443 yards a game, and they're sitting there at 6-1 and one with their only loss at Clemson. What's really the only big difference there? Yeah, sure, they brought a new office coordinator, Rhett Lashley. They got a new system, but it's the quarterback. De'Aaron King has been a revelation for them, and it's changed the entire fortunes of that team. The vast majority of that team is the exact same as what they had last year, guys. Actually, they lost some guys on defense. But the difference is De'Aaron King. They have an elite quarterback, and that elite quarterback has brought them to a 6-1 and one record, and they're probably, if they can beat North Carolina at the end of the year, they're probably going to end the, end the regular season 10-1. and one. Coming off a six and seven season, they're going to turn around in one year and probably go 10 and one in the same conference. And what's the big difference? It's the offense and in particular, the quarterback play. That's what it's all about. It's clear to me now. It's absolutely clear. I mean, defense does matter. I feel like uh, recently on the show, we've talked about like offense is really what matters, but in defense, like who cares? No, defense still matters. You still have to have a good defense to win big. Like Clemson, like they've been good on defense the past couple years. Alabama's been good on defense. They had, those two teams haven't necessarily been elite on defense the past couple years, but it doesn't matter. They've been good enough. They've been good on defense with an elite offense. That's what you have to have. You can't be like Oklahoma has, a, has this elite offense with a train wreck defense. You can't be that. That's proven that that doesn't work. You still have to be good on defense. Defense matters. But defense alone does not get it done anymore. You have to have the offensive element. And the offensive element, I think, is more important than the defensive element in modern football. And if you look at us, like, yeah, this is why I say it's really just the quarterback. Look at us. Look at our team, guys. Look at our program. We have everything else we need. We have the defense. We have the overall talent. We have, you know, what, three number one recruiting classes here in the past couple years. We have what I think is a really good coaching staff. We have the resources. We have the facilities. We have everything that we need except for the quarterback position. We've got to figure that out. We have some younger receivers. We have George Pickens. I think Jermaine Burton's going to be good. Rosemary Jackson's going to be good. We have some guys that I think are going to be going to be really, really good players for us. Don Blaylock, once he gets back and healthy, we just got to find that quarterback, whether it's somebody on the roster right now, maybe JT Daniels, maybe Carson Beck, maybe a guy coming in next year in, in Brock Vandegrift, maybe a grad transfer we don't know about yet. I don't know, but we've got to figure out that position. We've got to find a guy and retain him, keep him on the roster. And until that happens, we'll keep doing what we're doing. We'll keep pushing and being close, getting in the, in the SEC title game, winning divisions, but maybe just falling short like we have the past couple years. And that's what we've got to fix. That's what's separating us from the truly, truly elite programs. All right. Next up, Trey says, 2020 has compounded many problems for UGA. Even Florida getting COVID worked out to give them an advantage this year. And he's assuming this year is a one-off like 2016, not 2019. What other problems do we have that need to be fixed other than the quarterback position? Uh, before I answer that question, thanks, Trey. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, I want to address what he said. Even Florida getting COVID played to their advantage. We didn't really talk about that yet this week you know, on the recap show or anything. I think that's that's something that needs to be said. Look, we lost the game. They were a better team that day. They executed better. Tip your cap. They won. But, Charlie, don't you – I mean, you have to agree, right? Like getting basically what amounted to three weeks off – really helped them come into that game. You consider how banged up, because in, in, in those weeks, we got banged up. Yep. How many guys did we have out? 
But Florida was sitting there. Yeah, they had COVID, but they're going to recover from COVID. They're young guys. They're going to be fine. No one got seriously ill. And they didn't get the beating that we got, like playing Alabama. They were healthy coming to that game. We were not. They, they might have still beaten us. I don't know. But it certainly helped their cause. It certainly played their advantage. I think that's a great point, Trey, that we haven't really mentioned on this show. And, I, and I've been thinking about that. I just haven't really brought up on the show. But that's a great point. Um, but to answer your question, what else? Go back to what, what was the question again, Charlie? Make sure I got this right. That what other problems do we have that we need to be fixed other than at the quarterback position? I don't think a ton, really, to be honest with you. I think you could maybe say that we need to become more disruptive with our pa- like our pass rush. I've talked about, I've talked about this before. Our pass rush on standard downs. We need to find a way to become more disruptive to the quarterback. Because look, if the game is moved in the direction where the quarterback and the passing game is is all important, well, what what else becomes important? How you stop those guys? How do you how do you stop the quarterback from being that effective? Well, you disrupt him. You get after him. And we just don't do a good job of that on standard downs. I mean, maybe one thing that we need to address. But I mean, like I, everywhere else, like we have the talent defensively. We have we have great talent on the offensive line. We're getting better at the skill talent out wide and at tight end. Running back, we've got plenty of talent running back. We we've got what we need. I think we again we have a really good coaching staff, facilities, we have everything. We just got to find the quarterback. So I know that I, and probably doesn't really satisfy what you're looking for, Trey. But I mean, I just don't know what else needs to be fixed. I think we've got the right. I, I would have said offensive coordinator last year, but I I think we've got the right guy. I think Todd Munkin is the answer, offensive coordinator. I mean, I'm just concerned that we can find a way to retain him and keep him here. Because if we can, then I think that we have what we need there. We've fixed the system. We just need a quarterback, a signal caller that can go out there and execute like we need to. Like when you have guys running wide open against Florida and Alabama and you can't hit them and you lose the two big games on your schedule that keep you out of uh, out of the championship hunt, that's a problem. You need to find that guy. So I, I really think more than anything, it's just, I don't say it's just a quarterback. There's always things you, you can always improve all over the field. But I think if we can find the quarterback, all the other problems that people are looking at right now, this is what happens after a loss. Everybody comes out the woodwork and they point out all your problems and all these rumors get started and all it's it, it, the sky is falling, right? But I don't think the sky is falling. I really don't. I just think we need to find a quarterback. I think it's as simple as that. And Charlie, I know we have many more questions to go, but I do want to take a quick minute here before we get to all those questions to remind everyone about our friends at MyBookie. So obviously there's no Georgia football game this weekend. That sucks in its own right. So if you're looking for a little skin in the game with no Georgia to root for, go ahead and join my bookie, guys. It's the perfect time to do it. It's been a really weird year with all the late fall college football, like getting a, a start in late September as opposed to late August. Got the NBA bubble, a fight island out there in the Middle East somewhere for the UFC. It's clear 2020 has been a year unlike any other, and that's why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. Uh, you've also got Thanksgiving Day right around the corner. There's really no better time to feast on some NFL action, College football is still around, guys. Plenty of weeks left for college football. Time to make some cash. And whether you're a first-time customer or you've been playing with MyBookie for years, it doesn't matter. There is value to be found in all the games, the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, all the contests they offer each and every week. So sign up or get reloaded today. Find your edge and make your bet. And ultimately, get paid. That's what you're after, right? Make that money. Uh, they also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, if that's more your style. They've got the classic table games, slot games, card games, all the things you expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, guys, they don't close. They don't ever close their doors. They're open 24-7, so you can continue to build your bankroll well into the night. So make the right place. Sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to $1,000. Terms are pretty simple. You put in $200. They're going to match you with another 100 in your account. So if you are already playing to bet this season, 
This is free betting money. It's winning season in my bookie. So come join in on all the fun and win some cash while you're at it. All right, next up, Paul says that the defensive line tends to be more focused on gap integrity and minimizing big gains on the ground rather than maximizing disruptiveness. Do you think a change in defensive philosophy is needed in order to get us over the hump against elite offenses? Yes, uh, well said, Paul. Um, this is exactly what I was leading to in that last question. Absolutely well said. I totally agree. I've kind of alluded to this before. We're very good defensively. We've talked about Kirby Smart's scheme and philosophy on defense, and it has worked. It's, it's hard to argue against it, guys. It's defensively, it has worked for the most part, but this year it hasn't worked as much, right? In the big games, it's been fine against the Auburns and the Tennessees and the Kentuckys and the Arkansas of the world. That's fine. And it's going to continue to be fine against those teams. We're going to continue to stifle teams like that. But what we need to find a way to do is to do enough to stop the better teams on the schedule, the Floridas and the Alabamas of the world. And look, we've stopped Florida the past couple of years. This year, this is a different year for Florida. Like, you know, they have the, the restaurant senior quarterback and Kyle Trask. They have all the weapons around him. Florida's not going to have those weapons next year, guys. They're not going to have Kyle Pitts. They're not going to have Kadarius Turner. They're not going to have Kyle Trask. And they're not recruiting like we are. This is a, I don't want to say it's a one-year thing for Florida, but they're not going to be nearly as good offensively as next year as they are this year. They weren't nearly as good last year, the year before offensively. They were building to this. They got this year, and those guys are going to be gone. Trevon Grimes is going to be gone, okay? Their offensive line is not very good. Their running backs, fine. They're okay. They're they're not game-changing type guys. Embry Jones, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, um, yeah, I think what we have to do defensively is change what we do on standard downs. And I, I struggle with this because stopping the run is still such a critical part of, of football, making a team one-dimensional. And that's what Kirby's philosophy is. You want to stop the run. You're exactly right. It's about gap integrity, run fits, stopping the team from hitting those big plays. That's what it's about. But the thing is, against the good teams we played, Florida, Alabama, we have not minimized the big plays. We've given up way more big plays than I've ever seen a Georgia defense under Kirby Smart give up, maybe since 2016. It's been alarming to me because that is that is the philosophy. Force those teams to go the length of the field in 10, 12 play drives, something like that, and hoping that somewhere on the way they're gonna they're gonna make a mistake, they're not gonna execute, they're gonna not convert a third down, and you get a stop, and you get the ball back, and you go and you and you try to score. But if you give up these quick two play strikes, like an 80 yard touchdown pass or a 91 yard touchdown pass, like we did, like we did against Alabama. Well, then that takes it out of the equation. You just cannot do those kind of things. And we've done too much of that this year. So, and part of that is like, I guess Alabama, like we were in position most of the game there. They just had really good receivers. And that's why, that's why I'm talking about like offense. Offensive football is just the name of the game right now. The rules, the offensive innovation just favors the teams with better offenses. But against Florida, there were some things that we did that, I mean, Florida was good and they schemed it up well. Yes, but our eye discipline was terrible. We were letting guys run open. Like we just, we were not executing. We had busts in the secondary. Like and it's not something that we've traditionally done under Kirby Smart. But from a philosophical standpoint, I do want us to become more aggressive on early downs, what I call standard downs, which are first and second down, seven yards or less, right? Basically, what our strategy is is just survive on first and second down and, and stop the run to get them to third long. And that is where we get very aggressive. You guys have seen our dime package. We come out there with all sorts of different bodies, a lot of versatility, and we do a lot of different things. And that's when we get aggressive and come after the quarterbacks. We don't really do that on standard downs. And that's fine. Again, against Kentucky, against Arkansas, against Auburn, it's fine. But when you play Florida and, and Alabama and they're able to have success on first, first and second down, well, you can't really get to your third and long package. You can't get to that dying package. I think Adam Anderson, who's our best pass rusher, what do you have, two or three snaps against Alabama? That's not good enough. And the, only, the reason he had two or three snaps is because we were not getting in the third long 
consistently enough. We could not get those playmakers on the field. That's what our defense is built around is getting it to third long where we can go after the quarterback and make life hell for them. We need to start making life hell for quarterbacks and for offenses on first and second down. And we've got to become more aggressive because these teams are, they're built around the passing game. And we've got to find a way to disrupt that passing game by getting after the quarterback. And we have some good pass rushers. I don't know if they're like a Chase Young level type pass rusher. Like I've said before, I don't think that they are that kind of guy. But Aziz Ojalari is a good pass rusher. Adam Anderson is a good pass rusher. Nolan Smith, Jermaine Johnson, good pass rushers. But we give them run responsibilities first. That is their priority. And I think on some level, we got to start letting them off the leash a little bit, unleash them a little bit to go after the quarterback and just wreck their game. And you know what? That means we're probably going to give up a little bit more on the ground. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. I think what we will gain in rushing the passer and disrupting the quarterback that outweighs what we might give up on the ground. Because teams are not, like, most teams are not beating you with their ground game right now. So there are certain teams here and there that do it. You know, Wisconsin's done that traditionally. And you, and you can make a game plan specific adjustment based on that. But the Alabamas, the Floors of the World, they're not beating you with their ground game. Yes, Najee Harris is, is a good player. But he's almost like a, like a constraint. They use him to set up the opportunity for big plays down the field. And we have to recognize that's what teams are doing. So give them the ground game here and there. Make Because if you give them the ground game, then you're going to force them to go 10, 12 plays down the field. That's what that's what you're doing. So just we've got to find a way to be more disruptive to stop these elite offenses. That's what it comes down to. I totally agree. We've got to be more aggressive. And we've got to just unleash some of those guys on those standard downs. All right. Next up, Jeff asked, does the postponement of the Missouri game make it less likely that JT Daniels will ever be the starting quarterback of Georgia since this could give Stetson Bennett extra time to heal? I hope not. And uh, like I said, I, I've heard, I've been told from multiple people that JT Daniels was getting the majority of the snaps of the ones in practice this week. Now, you have to ask yourself how much that had to do with Stetson not being healthy with the AC sprain. I don't know how much I had to do with it. And look, he's he's jumped up and taken snaps over Dwan Mathis. Dwan Mathis is not hurt. He was ahead of JT Daniels really all year long. So he's jumped up over him. I think at this point, Kirby's saying, look, I don't think that Dwan's the answer. I don't think Stetson's the answer. I think he's going to give JT Daniels a shot, whether that's this week or next week. I think JT is going to get his shot. I wish it was this week, but I and, I, and there's, there's certainly a chance that this gives Stetson Bennett time to heal and he'll get out there and Kirby will just default to the, the safer option like he has all year and really all all during his tenure here in Athens. But I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that JT Daniels, whether it's this week or next week, is going to start the next game that Georgia plays. All right. Next question is from G. He asks you to talk about how overrated Tyson Campbell is. He says he's a five-star out of high school with all the hype and his – been a bust for three years in a row, in his opinion. Yes, he had a great game versus Auburn, but other than that, he's done nothing but get burned by Bama and gave up two touchdowns and busted coverage against Florida. Yeah, we talked about Tyson Campbell a little bit on the first Mailbag episode, but we'll go into a little bit more detail here. Yeah, the Tyson Campbell guys was a big-time five-star prospect coming out of Florida a couple years back. But you have to remember, he was raw coming out of high school. The five-star rating was based more on like a projection, like what he can be based on his physical tools. But he was a track guy. He was certainly raw. And we saw that his freshman year. I mean, he was extraordinarily raw. His, his awareness, his ball skills, I mean, he was all over. He didn't know what was going on half the time. Last year, I saw some serious improvement from him before the turf toe injury. I think the turf toe injury did set him back because he basically couldn't practice for two-plus months last year. Now, this year he has had his moments. He has played well like against Auburn, you mentioned. He absolutely, he played really well shutting down Seth Williams, who is a really good receiver. But he's also had some moments where he's been burned, where he has uh, certainly not helped us. 
Alabama, yeah, he got torched a couple of times. But guys, I will say, who does Alabama not torch? Let's let's go there. Like, it doesn't matter. They, they, whoever you are, you give up points and you get burned by Alabama, and that happens to all cornerbacks. I don't think I've said this before in the show. I don't think there's any such thing as a shutdown corner anymore with how offenses have innovated over the years and, and all the rule changes. I just don't think you can be a shutdown corner. I think there are guys that are that shut down their side of the field more than others. And Campbell needs to certainly needs to improve. But I don't this idea of a shutdown corner, like a Deion Sanders type guy from back in the day. I don't. I just don't know if those guys really exist anymore. I really don't. But Campbell's got to improve. I, I will say he he's been in position a lot of the time, even against Alabama and against Florida. He's been in position. Sometimes these guys just make really good throws and catches when you're playing elite offenses with elite quarterbacks and elite receivers. Sometimes they just make plays. But he does need to do a better job of when he's in position making a play on the ball. The ball skills have to continue to improve. There's no doubt there. I love his athleticism. I love his size, his length. And maybe like there was a thought coming out of high school that he would be a better safety long-term. And maybe that is where he would fit long-term. But I think he's got good hips. I think he's got outstanding. I know he has outstanding speed. What he's got to continue to work on is just the awareness of ball skills. I think he has improved dramatically from year one in those areas, but there's still room for improvement. And, you know, I thought he might be a guy that was primed to potentially enter the NFL draft early after this year. But the more we go on through the season, I don't know. I, I, I know, we t- but the, the problem is a lot of these five-star guys, they're, they have in their mind coming into college that they're going to be three and out. And they, they have that like ingrained in their mind. It's kind of just something that, that they've internalized over the years because they, they you know, you're so great. You know, you're a five-star guy. Everyone in the country wants you. And I'm going to be three and out. And sometimes they don't always make the logical choice because that's kind of been the expectation they've had in their mind for a long time. They want to go after that money. So I'm not sure he'll come back. I think it would behoove him to do so, but there's no guarantee there. All right. Next question comes from loyal listener Alexander. He says, obviously we want to win out, but with the SEC title out of the picture, what are you hoping to see from the team for the rest of the season? Possibly playing Carson Beck? a continued progression from the offensive line, or maybe playing some younger guys at key spots? In general, I'll start with just answering this question generally. I I just want to build positive vibes and positive momentum going into 2021. Sure, mathematically, we're not eliminated from the SEC championship game. Not technically, but for all practical purposes, it, it, it would take a borderline miracle for us to get in there. We know that. So I'm, I am looking ahead to 2021. I want to build positive eyes, positive momentum going into that season. I don't want the negativity and the toxicity creeping into our program through the offseason. I don't want to hear irrational hot seat talk from all the talking heads out there all offseason long. Because even though that's crazy, it's irrational. In my opinion, it's crazy right now to even be talking about Kirby Smart being on the hot seat. That's insane to me. Some people might out there might think that he should be on the hot seat. I think that's crazy. I know we're all emotional right now after the Florida loss. I get it. But, like, come on. Let, let's be real. Like, Kirby Smart on the hot seat? We're talking about firing Kirby Smart? Like, who are you going to get this better than Kirby Smart right now? Like, are you getting Nick Saban? Are you getting Urban Meyer? Because if you're not getting one of those guys, or maybe a Dabo Swinney, those are like the three guys right now. I would say, yeah, you probably take them over Kirby Smart. But are we getting any of those guys? Because if we're not, then why are we even remotely considering getting rid of Kirby Smart? That's that's a crazy idea. And I've actually heard people say that. But but you don't want to even hear any talk like that. You don't want to hear some talking head, you know, in mid-May with nothing to talk about, but they have a college football show go, huh, is Kirby Smart on the hot seat? Just like posing one of those hot button questions, even though there's no basis at all for that. You just don't want to hear that because recruits hear that. It starts to seep in. It starts somewhere. You don't even want to start that stuff. You don't want the negativity. You want positive vibes. You want that momentum heading into 2021. That's like in general, that's what we need to focus on right now. We need to win out and we need to 
look good doing. We need to feel good about ourselves moving forward. Right now, it doesn't feel really good. It doesn't feel good. I know a lot of people have very little hope moving into 2021 right now. The Florida game, what, what, it did, what it did for a lot of people is it not only did it kind of ruin this season for them, but they're all, a lot of people are like, man, we're just, we're not going to be any good next year either. And I understand that. So I want to change that with how we play the rest of the way. That's why I was, one of the reasons I was really eager to get to Missouri. I love that town. I love Columbia, Missouri. It's a fun town. It's awesome. Great college town. Um, but also I just wanted us to get that bad taste out of our mouth. I wanted JT Daniels to get in there and I wanted him to hopefully light it up. And of course, you're going to hear the talk about Kirby. Why weren't you playing him earlier? But the fact is we have a quarterback now. We have a guy that can light it up. I wanted that. And maybe we'll get that next week, hopefully. So I, I definitely want to um, just get those positive vibes, positive momentum. But maybe more specifically, I think the offensive line has been really progressing week in and week out. Yeah, I would love to see more progression on the offensive line and see those guys gel more. I would love to see the, the young wide receivers continue to grow. I mean, obviously, Rosemary Jackson is out for the year. I'm glad to hear that he underwent really successful surgery and he should be, he should be back with a full recovery. That's awesome to hear because that was a pretty gruesome, gruesome injury. Anything like you see like that, like, oh, just tough, tough to see. Um, but I love to see a guy like Jermaine Burton continue to grow and start to make serious strides. I want to see the light go on for him. Maybe a guy like Justin Robinson get in the game and start making some plays. Kyrus Jackson continue to grow. George Pickens, and as talented as George is, George has a lot of room to grow, guys. We need to see him continue to make strides, continue to grow. Darnell Washington, a guy like that, I want to see him continue to take strides. So going into next year, these guys are ready to hit the ground running. That's Those are the kind of things I want to see defensively. I want to see some of those young demons alignment start to grow up because guys, we're probably almost certainly not going to have Jordan Davis next year. We need to find some guys with demons alignment. We're probably going to lose Devontae Wyatt. We're going to need a lot of guys. We're going to lose Devontae Wyatt. We're going to need some of those young guys to step up, whether it's Brinson, whether it's Logue, whether it's Norton, whether it's Stackhouse. We're going to need those guys to step up and start to make some plays. I want to see them continue to grow. I want to see Quay Walker. I want to see N'Kobe Dean continue to grow and start making more plays. And heck, in the secondary, there's going to be no original account. Let's see what Chris Smith's got. Let's see what Major Burns got. Let's see what those guys can do out there. So yeah, there's a lot of things to look at, a lot of things to watch for. Quarterback play, obviously, we want to try to find some stability there heading into 2021. But more than anything, let's just build some positivity. John says, I'm hearing some people who have connections with the program saying that Pickens is getting dangerously close to not being on the team without maturing quickly. Have you heard anything about that situation? Yeah, you, you hear rumors about it. Like, the rumors started after the Florida game, after that brutal loss. But things like that happen after loss. Guys, that's when all these rumors about dissension in the locker room and guys being locker room cancers. I mean, heck, since Saturday, what, what three or four days removed from the game, apparently... Half the team is going to be the transfer portal in the next couple of weeks. That's what you hear, right? Like, so rumors happen when you have losses like this. Like some of the malcontents, their voices get a little bit louder because there's guys. Every team has malcontents. I mean, every single locker room. There's never a locker room that's everyone's perfectly happy because not everyone's playing. There's always going to be some guys that think, "Hey, if I got my chance, I can do it better than that guy." You guys have been in locker rooms. You know what I'm talking about. But when you're winning, those guys. Like they're silenced. No one can say anything because they like you're winning. They can't say, "Oh yeah, I could do it better." They might, they may think that, but when you're winning all your games, no one's listening to you. But all of a sudden, now when you start losing some games, they feel like people are more receptive to what they're saying. They can, there's kind of an opening. They want to pull you into their negativity. That that is a real thing. But that's not unique to Georgia. That might be going on in our locker room, but that's not unique to us. Every college program in the country, guys, has dudes like that. They do. You just don't hear anyone talk about it until after your team loses a game or two and then all the floodgates open up, right? You start to hear all this negativity. But I do think a lot of that is overplayed. And with George, 
look, we know George's got a lot of growing up to do. That's pretty clear. The spraying the water in, in the Auburn player's face, like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's just idiotic. It, it just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Like, what are you, what are you doing? I, last year, okay, I mean, it still would have been idiotic, but he's a freshman and we saw him make some, do some stupid things last year. But as a sophomore, like you got a year, year and a half of coaching under your belt. These guys have been coaching you up and, and trying to help you grow up, and you're still doing stupid stuff like that. Yeah, the guy is immature, but that doesn't mean he's a bag dude. I, I, I've never actually heard anyone say, and I know he had the suspension coming in the first half coming into the Georgia Tech game. That could have been any minor thing. I mean, it could have been like being late to a meeting, but I've never heard anyone say that he's like a bad apple. Like he's got a bad attitude. Like he's a locker room cancer. Like you heard about Brenton Cox, for example. That's a guy you heard that about. I never heard anyone say that about George. I, what I've heard about him from people around the program is that he's a, a fun-loving, lighthearted kind of guy that is just um, really immature. He's got a lot of growing up to do in that, from that standpoint. And you, you've seen those things. And I think he has made strides. I've heard he's made strides, but he's, he's coming from a, a very immature situation. So he's got to continue to grow and get better. But in terms of like is he going to be off the team? I've heard all those rumors too. And I understand like people saying, oh, he didn't make the trip. He was going to play. He didn't make the trip. All I can tell you right now is I have not heard anyone that I trust tell me that he is not going to be a part of this team moving forward. And I do know that he was out at practice on Monday, full go, working with the ones, and he was out there and, and ready to go. So I I don't know. Like I'm not saying that George Pickens, there's no chance that he's not going to leave the team or be kicked off the team, but I have not heard anything remotely hard suggesting that George is going to be removing this team or he won't be a part of this team moving forward. I have not heard that at all from anyone that I trust. I've heard the rumors, but I don't put any stock into that because especially after a loss, I just, I don't buy that at all. I just, I can tell you what I know that he's out at practice. He's with the team and that's what we know right now. But all right, Charlie, great questions as always, but now we've got some picks to make. It is a scaled down slate this week. But we did have the winner of last week's Pick'em League, Todd Neely, send in his picks. We'll try to get him in on another episode when we have a full slate of games. But we didn't want to have him on. We just had a couple of games. We don't want to waste him like that. We want to try to get him back on when he can do a full episode with us. So we'll do our very best to make that happen. But we do at least have his picks for the five games we are picking this week. So thank you, Todd. Congratulations for winning last week. And thank you for sending your picks in, my man. Uh, and right now, guys, if you look at our standings, I'll run through this real quickly. Last week was not a banner week for anyone on the show. My dad actually did a really good job. I think he had the best week for any guest host that we've had so far. So we went 5-3 and three, straight up and 5-3 and three against the spread. But right now in the year, our standings, Charlie is still in the lead straight up with a 39-19 record straight up. I'm right behind her coming at 37-21. and 21. Guest hosts are at 34-24 and 24 straight up. I am still in the lead in the against the spread picks. I'm coming in at 33 and 25 overall against the spread. Charlie's coming at 29 and 29, so still right at 500, Charlie. And our guest host making the move here against the spread. They're up to 28 and 30 against the spread overall on the year. So we got five games. Charlie, which one are we starting with? We'll start in the ACC this week with the Canes traveling north to take on Virginia Tech. The Hokies are only favored by two and a half points this week, and Miami is still ranked number nine with a six and one record. I'm going to go with Miami to win and cover this one because Miami is quietly positioning themselves for an ACC title berth despite their loss to Clemson. If they can manage to go undefeated the rest of the season, they can get a spot in the ACC championship game if Notre Dame or Clemson slips up. Unlikely, but possible. Maybe. 
Uh, and our guest picker, Todd, picked Virginia Tech to win and cover. Uh, who'd you go with? Miami. Miami to win and cover. Yeah, I'm going with Miami also here. I think this actually might be one of the better games on the slate, considering half, not half the slate, but a lot of games that I was looking forward to are now not being played. Uh, and you're right, Charlie. Miami has a very outside shot to get into the, to the ACC title game. But here's the thing. Even if they don't get in the ACC title game, let's say they end up going 10-1, and one, they still have a shot to get in the college football playoff. Like, no one's talking about them as a possible college football playoff team. And I don't think they're on the same level as I, we clearly saw that against Clemson or in Alabama or Ohio State or something like that. But they are probably going to end up, I mean, the game against North Carolina, North Carolina at the end of the year could be a tough game for them. But they could very reasonably end up 10-1 and and not get in the ACC title game. So, like, could they possibly be in the conversation to get a, an at-large bid? to the college football playoff. Like, I know people are talking about, well, how many teams is the SEC going to get? How many teams might get in from the ACC, the Big 12? You know, is Iowa State going to get in? What about the Pac-12? No one's talking about Miami. And I'm just saying, like, they're probably going to end up being 10-1 and in a Power 5 conference. And the only loss being to Clemson on the road. They got a shot there. But anyway, Derek King is, like I said earlier in the show, this dude is the reason for their turnaround. He is playing lights out, especially over the past two weeks. Over the past two weeks, guys, he's gone 52 of 71 for 752 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Also rushed for 29 yards and 29 times for 132 yards over the past two games. He is playing at a different level right now. And they've been doing that without their best receiver. Or Well, he's a tight end, but pretty much a receiver. Brevin Jordan, he's been out for a couple weeks now. They're probably getting him back this weekend against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's a solid team, but they just lost to Liberty. Of course, they're going to want to come out there and make amends for that and kind of get that sour taste out of their mouth. And Hinton Hooker is a good quarterback, but their running back, Khalil Herbert, he's the guy that's been the workhorse in this year. He's questionable going into this Miami game. Didn't play much last week, or I don't think he played at all, actually. He's very questionable in this game. So if he is not in there to run the football, I don't know if Hinton Hooker is good enough to, to do enough against a, what's a good Miami defense? to beat Miami, even if it is at home. So I'm going to go Miami to win. I'm also going to go for Miami to cover the two and a half as well. All right. Did you mean to include this next game, Vanderbilt <laughs> at Kentucky? Well, I mean, again, slim picking. So it's one of two SEC games are being played. Since this is SEC country, I just threw it in there. Uh, you know, it's, what we're, it's first, what we're left with. Yeah, at first I was confused, but then I thought it could be intriguing, like a battle for the second-to-worst team in the SEC East, except for maybe we need to throw South Carolina in there. Like whoever wins this game is, we're not the worst yeah, in the league. Exactly. Yes. They can have a trophy for that, right? Sure, why not? Trophy for anything these days. Maybe UGA needs to be thrown in there, too. No, just no, kidding. get out of here with that. It's okay, people. I'm just kidding. Get out of here with that. I think Kentucky will have a home field advantage, and I do think they will be able to pull out a win, but I don't think they'll be able to cover the 17 this week. Our guest picker, Todd, went with Kentucky to win and Vandy to cover like I did. I don't know if Kentucky can score 17 points right now. I don't That's know if it's possible true. for them. They've just been such a nightmare offensively. Now, we're talking about Vanderbilt, which, you know, if there's a team you're going to score 17 against, it could be Vanderbilt. Now, and look, Kentucky has scored 17 points in more than a couple games this year already. But, like, their offense right now, it's just been a, a train wreck for them. It, it's just been abysmal, at least their last two performances. Vanderbilt's bad. Um, Kenny Seals has actually put up some decent numbers from the quarterback. They're not scoring a lot of points. They don't have a lot of weapons around him, but he's been all right. Kentucky's going to win this game. They're just a better team. They're a better coach team. They, have, they do have more talent than Vanderbilt. 17 points is a lot. 
Oh my God, am I going to take Vanderbilt to cover the 17? I mean, Vanderbilt, like they covered against AM, they covered last week against Mississippi State. You know what? Yeah, let's say Kentucky to win, Vanderbilt Commodores to cover. You don't get to say that very often. <laughs> nope. All right, Notre Dame is coming off a huge win and probably a ton of positive COVID cases on campus after they all stormed the field last week in their big win over Clemson. They now control their own destiny for getting into the ACC championship game. And, of course, in 2020, they'll probably win since they've never been part of a conference prior to the season. And, you know, 2020. Look at the Irish, baby. Boston College is quietly having a positive and productive year under new coach Jeff Halfley. They're currently 5-3 and three and almost pulled up the upset in Death Valley two weeks ago. I think Notre Dame is flying high and may not be able to cover the 13 and a half. So I'm going to go with Notre Dame to win and Boston College to cover. Our guest listener, Todd, is going with Notre Dame to win and cover. Yeah, okay, so Notre Dame is the better team. But are they 13 and a half points better? The, the hook here, man, like if it was 14, man, I would feel really good about going with Boston College. Because Boston College, guys... They've only gotten blown out once. And you're right, Charlie. Like Charlie's right. They're only they're five and three. I don't know how many people realize that. I think people like turn on the Clemson game a couple weeks ago, like, oh my god, Boston College. Well, guys, Boston College is pretty good this year. Like they're not great, but they're a solid, decent football team. And they, they haven't really gotten blown out all but one I mean, one time. Virginia Tech is the only team that blew them out. I think it was like 41-17. But that game got, got away from them because of turnovers. They only got outgained by 30 yards that game by against Virginia Tech. But they had five turnovers in that game. That's the only game they've gotten blown out again. They, they, got, they played North Carolina really closely. They played Clemson really closely. Notre Dame is a good team, guys. I, I, I think we all saw that last week. We know that. But they're just, I don't know if they're a dominant team. They just haven't been. Like They're plus 1,065 yards in the year. That's really good. They're a really good team. They're, they're a playoff caliber type team. But in BC, like BC's only, like, they're like even in their total yards differential in the year. But they've also played a much harder schedule. If you look at Notre Dame, yeah, they just beat Clemson. It's a top five team at home. Great win. They played the best game I've seen them play in a long time. But their other five games they play this year have been against opponents that are 8-25 and 25 overall. So I think BC, I, I'm not sure... BC is that far. I mean, look, they're not Notre Dame, but BC is not completely overwhelmed in this matchup. I don't think that they are. And Ian Book was really good against Clemson at quarterback. But other than that game, like that was by far his best game of the year. He's been perfectly average all year long. And they haven't been blowing teams like Boston College out. I mean, they beat Louisville 12 to 7. They let FSU hang and cover that game. They had, an un, they had uninspiring wins over Duke and Georgia Tech. They won all those games fine, comfortably enough. Except for Louisville, Louisville was a pretty close game. But they haven't dominated every team that they played this year. And I think Boston College is better than every one of those teams. They're better than Louisville, they're better than FSU, they're better than Duke, and they're better than Georgia Tech. And if if Notre Dame wasn't putting those teams away, we're we're expecting them to just put Boston College away on the road, coming off that big win against Clemson, where there's probably going to be a letdown factor. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, Phil Dracovic, the quarterback at Boston College, is a pretty good player. He's actually a, a transfer, a former quarterback at Notre Dame. He was Ian Book's backup. He transferred out. And now he's the quarterback at Boston College, and he's a guy that's a, kind of a dual threat. He can, he, can, he can move around a little bit, good passer. He doesn't have a ton of weapons around him. He's pretty good. Uh, Jeff Halfley was a co-defense coordinator at Ohio State last year. He's come over and taken that job, and he's put together a good defense. They're, they're playing pretty well right now, giving up only 373 yards a game. Notre Dame is the better team. Notre Dame is going to win. But Boston College, you know what? Give me the Eagles to cover here. The 13, that hook, the 13 and a half scares me a little bit. If it was 14, I'd go for sure Boston College. But I'll take him anyway. Let's go Boston College to cover. 
Like Notre Dame, Florida is also living the good life this week since they beat UGA last weekend. However, they have to play Arkansas on Saturday. I don't think Arkansas will win this one, but I think they will keep it closer than people think. The spread is Florida by 17.5, and, and I think that is a lot considering the way Sam Pittman has his team playing this year, even as a first-year um, head coach. I am concerned because Pittman tested positive for COVID earlier this week. I sure hope he's okay, and I know his players miss him, but I think the assistant coaches will have the Hogs ready to play. So I'll go with Florida to win and Arkansas to cover. Our guest listener, Todd, is going with Florida to win and cover. Yeah, that's a fair pick. I mean, Florida's going to win, uh, almost certainly going to win this game. I don't know, but you have the letdown factor. It's possible. And you're right, Charlie. Sam Pittman does have his hogs playing really well right now, though he will not be on the sideline this week. Defense coordinator Barry Odom will be calling the shots on game day and manning the sideline in Gainesville. But, guys, Felipe Franks, like here, I, I keep, that's the storyline, right? Felipe Franks coming back to Florida to play his, his old team, his old coach. He's been playing really well, man. Like, he's been playing so well for Arkansas. And I wonder what he would be doing in that offense with the weapons that Trask has around him. Because look at their numbers this year. Felipe Franks, 67% completion percentage. Kyle Trask, 68%. Felipe Franks, 1,400 yards in the year. Kyle Trask, right around 1,800. So he's thrown for more yards, but he also has better weapons to throw to. Franks, 14 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. Trask, 22 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. So their numbers are, I mean, look, Trask has put up better numbers, but he also, again, has better weapons to work with. He has Kyle Pitts. He has Kadarius Tony, He has Javon Grimes. He has those guys. Franks has some solid players around him, but not to the level of some of those skill players that, uh, that the Florida Gators have on their roster. But I, I think Franks is going to have to go in there and he can manage his emotions and keep Arkansas in this game. I like the talent that, that they have at running back. they got two running backs and Rakeem Boyd and Traylon Smith. Who I'm sure they're gonna look. They, they're gonna probably do what we should have done and run the football against a very suspect Florida rush defense, a team that can be run on. And if they can just manage to not get down big early like we did, and they can run the football and shorten this game and, and limit the possessions that Florida has to work with, I think they can keep this game close enough to cover the 17 and a half. Kyle Pitts might not be playing with a concussion issue; he's in concussion protocol. You never know with that. But there's a chance he doesn't play in this game. So with all those things considered, I think Florida's going to win this game. But I think Arkansas can cover 17.5. I really do, even though it's in Gainesville. Well, I don't know what is going on in South Carolina, but they seem to want to get rid of their quarterback too. I guess we can all be empathetic in this case. The Gamecocks will go to Oxford this week, unless, of course, there are more positive COVID tests, and this game is canceled also. (laughs) I hope South Carolina can come out and score more points than they did last week. Otherwise, they're going to get crushed by Ole Miss. The Gamecocks only scored three points last week against Texas A&M. Hopefully, they were able to solve some problems during the week at practice. Maybe not, though. I don't know. We'll see. Ole Miss has a quick-scoring offense, and I don't think South Carolina's defense is going to be able to hold off Lane Kiffin's team. So, I'm going with Ole Miss to win and cover. Our listener, Todd Pitt, chose South Carolina with the upset. Talk about the upset special. Yeah, upset special. Yeah, all right. So, all right. Interesting here. So, I consider this is a pick I got to own. I I did pick A&M to win this game, and I talked about how I thought South Carolina had a chance to win it. So, even though I got the the pick right, I got to own the fact that that was an idiotic thing to say that South Carolina might win that game. And they, based off how they had played previously, the couple weeks coming into that game, that you would think they had a shot, but. Colin Hill is just not the answer. We, and Charlie's right. We all know what that's like. We all know what that's like right now. 
Uh, he's not the answer. And their defense has really let them down. I mean, A&M is fine. A&M is a good team, but they're they're not that good. They just they were running through South Carolina. I know Carolina has some injuries in the secondary that, that they had to deal with, but they're they got to be better than that. And and I don't care about your call. I mean, you got to score more than three points, man. You got to score more than three points. A&M's defense is solid. It's not an elite defense, right? It's not even it's not our level defense. They've got to be better than that. But I got to own that one because I was talking up South Carolina that they had a chance to maybe win that game, and that was just flat wrong. This week, I don't feel like that's going to be the case at all. This South Carolina defense, it's a problem for them right now. Their offense hasn't been good either, but their defense giving up 423 yards a game, offense only averaging 340 yards a game. So they're, I mean, they're pretty close to being outgained 100 yards a game by their opponents. That's not good enough, guys, obviously. And they're also only 81st nationally in pass defense. And Ole Miss, we know they have a high-powered offense. They run the ball really well, too. They can throw the ball. They've got Elijah Moore out there. Uh, Matt Corrales got him to throw, too. They've got Kenny Yeboah at tight end. they got some weapons to work with in the passing game. And Link Kiffin does a great job of scheming that up, although he's not necessarily the, the, the offense coordinator. does a really good job of working with the coordinator to get that offense humming. And they're they're really playing well. All year long, they've been playing well. Now, South Carolina is coming to this game, according to Will Muschamp, with an open competition at quarterback. Honestly, at this point, I think it's probably going to be Ryan Helensky. It's kind of like the situation where, like, what do you have to lose? Go with a young guy, see what he's got. And if he's not the answer, then you you, you know. And you, maybe you go to the grad transfer market. You go recruit somebody else, whatever you got to do. But I think you got to go with him right now because Colin Hill is just not getting the job done. Ole Miss is also coming off the bye week. You guys know if you listen to the show how I feel about bye weeks. It always gives you an extra advantage. So, yeah, I'm taking the Rebels to win this game. I feel really confident with them. Obviously, Ole Miss might be my lock of the week. And 11... Uh, you know what? I just don't think South Carolina can score enough right now. The Ole Miss defense is bad. We know that. But, I mean, guys, South Carolina scored three points last week. And AM's defense is good, but not that good. So I'm going to go Ole Miss to win and cover the 11 at home as well. And, guys, that's it. That does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. We had to kind of call an audible here with the uh, Georgia-Missouri game getting canceled or get, well, let me say that correctly, being postponed. And who knows, it might ultimately end up being canceled if we can't find a date to actually play this game. But uh, no Georgia game this week, so we had to flip the script a little bit. We want to make sure to have some content for you guys, so really glad we got a chance to answer all those leftover mailbag questions. And uh, fun to always do some picks here with Charlie. So make sure to check back with us next week, guys. Hope you have a great weekend. It sucks there's going to be no Georgia football. That does suck. On some level, I do like a good bye week because you do get a chance to just enjoy the day without the stress. All the butterflies, oh my God, the game's coming, the game's coming. What's going to happen? Like against Florida, like it was hard for me to enjoy the first part of the day because I just had in the pit of my stomach this sinking feeling that we were going to get murdered. And, of course, it ended up happening. So with the bio, you don't have to worry about anything like that. But we do have this nasty taste we got to get out of our mouth at some point here. But enjoy your weekend, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.